0: afternoon, folks. Monday, the 22nd of January, flying by Guy Adami here. Carter Braxton worth joining us right at the top. Dan taking a much-deserved day off. And before we get into it, Carter, I just want to extend our deepest sympathies. You know, the markets we talk about every day, but then you realize there are far more important things. And John Anderson has been with us literally from day one. Uh, And I would not say this less that he put it out on Twitter yesterday, his daughter Kimberly Davis passed away, leaving behind four children. And just on behalf of all of us and our entire community, John, we wish you and your family nothing but the best. We're thinking of you all. We just want to obviously extend our sympathies and know that we're thinking of you. And that's a tough segue to the market, but I'll try to make it anyway. So let's take a look at the rundown. And you know what? The stock market rally rages on, Carter. I will say, in terms of the semis and some real individual names, you've been on this for a while. This is interesting. You're playing for a bond bounce. In other words, you think that yields can head lower again. We're going to take a look at some charts. And we're also going to do a little chart check on Netflix and Tesla. But let's get right into the S&P 500 here because, once again, a bit of a runaway train here, CBW.
1: Yeah, well, uh, we have now, uh, and interestingly, we are about 1% above the all-time high of for January 2022. So two years and two weeks later. Um, equity market is now making slight new highs. Obviously, um, if you will, the question is, where's the follow through? Do we get a lot? The consensus is that we do. Um, There is the prospect, of course, of an important double top in the making. And so we shall see. Um, And and there you have it on the screen, right? Uh, Being an inch above or inch below is irrelevant. We are at former highs. But what we do know, of course, is we continue to have this this bifurcated market where the SP, which is so dominant by a handful of names, is is making a, a new all time high, albeit slight, whereas the equal weight is not. And then if you look at the broad aggregate, really the Russell 3000, um, of course, the circumstance is altogether different. We might now have some charts on that.
0: Now, we're going to take a look at that in a second. But quickly, if we can go back to that prior chart, because this is something you brought forth in the middle of last year, and we had conversations about. Unfilled gaps. And I'm not looking to, for you to do this from memory, but I know you can opine. The last unfilled gap to the upside was filled probably, I want to say, in November of last year, maybe early December. It doesn't matter. It was filled. Uh, we've continued to sort of move higher, leaving only now gaps on the downside. And quite frankly, just looking at this chart, you can see it. The first one probably comes in coincidentally right around the moving average or slightly lower. So, you know, my interpretation of this is, and obviously people are going to say you're dogmatic, but you know, the higher we go sort of unabated, the more concerned I get in terms of just sort of that standard deviations we continue to move away from, not only the moving average, but those um, gaps that you have pointed out a number of times.
1: Sure. Also, one way to look at uh, an aggregate is to say, if you look at every year, every calendar year since inception, um, are there any years where you have no sell-offs? Never goes down. The answer is no. Are there any years where an S&P or a Dow or NASDAQ has sell-offs, but not one of them exceeds 2%? The answer is no. How about five? The answer is no. Meaning you get drawdowns, right? And typically somewhere between 7 and 12% in any given year. And then you could have a year where it's down 50 a bear market. But the point is, let's say we know to a certainty, and we do, that there will be a sell off at some point of uh, 7, 10, 12 percent. Now, does that happen from 10 percent higher, which mm-hmm. means that we end up back where we are now, or is that about to happen and we go down and fill the gaps that are unfilled below, which is a 10 percent decline from here? Either way, um, you know, this is what makes a market. There are plenty of people who are quite uh think the whole thing is very suspect, and there are plenty of people who are. Uh, very, very bullish. The real takeaway, of course, and there's no way around this, is the equity market has done nothing for two years. And the bulls don't want to accept that. They want to pretend it's all been great. It, two years of wasted time with a lot of risk embraced.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, through that lens, it is pretty interesting. Obviously, for some names, it's been a terrible couple of years. For other names, it's been an extraordinary couple of years. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but I think everybody knows sort of on the margins, at least what we're talking about. Sell-side analyst predictions, and they are predictions, by the way, are always pretty interesting. You brought this slide. And just speak to this because, you know, pretty much speaks to the randomness of this entire activity. It's it's sort of, a, it's it's a bit of a... One has to wonder why they, in fact, do this yeah. a number of times.
1: It's a convention, right? A convention something generally agreed upon. It's a, it's a something that's done. It's relatively new. There were no price targets. If you go back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, that was because people didn't play a game like that. The, the nonsense of what about the 11-month price target or the 13-month, just because it's the calendar year. But it, it's a comfort blanket. People like to say, oh, my man at uh, Firm XYZ, he's the big man. He says it'll be up 10%. So here are the facts. Uh, First, strategists since being tracked in the late 80s, 1990, have never once called for a down year. So it's the reason they call it the sell side. They're they're selling their wares, raising capital in the banking department to then have publicly traded companies and sell those shares onto the unsuspecting public. Let's just call it what it is. And so they're always bullish. Strategists have always predicted an up year every year since being tracked as a group. Um, The second thing we know is that the price target is typically. 7 to 8% higher than the closing price the time they make the prediction. Well, if you look at the average annual returns of the Dow going back 120 years, that's exactly what it is. So what it is, is nonsense. They give you a price target that is exactly 7%, 8 9% higher. And then you can see how uh, useful that is. Look at these columns. These are the last four, five, six years. And I was always pressed all my years on Wall Street, major sell-side firms to put a price target. And I said, I have no clue. How about that? And they didn't like that. The director of research would say, no, you need to. I said, I don't. I don't know. That's my answer. I don't know. So here we have every year, 2018 to now, right now, you have the guess, the date. They're always done in the third week of January. The year-end price target, the actual close, and then look at what transpired. It's completely random. So that final column is the actual close, how much above or below it was from the year-end price target postulated, guessed on, published in the beginning of the year. And you can see it's just nothing.
0: It's a full so zero. What happens yeah. this year?
1: I have no clue. But you have more. to, at any given moment, have a view. Are you adding to your exposure? Or are you reducing your exposure? Are you expressing a view more bullish on a sector, a or theme, or less bullish? And then you go take your chances from there.
0: You know, it's interesting because not only is it a bit of a fool's errand, but also that really what it comes down to is how do we get to those price targets as well? Because as you've mentioned a number of times, there are really no straight lines. So, you know, sometimes you can be right. And along the course of the year, you obviously have huge drawdowns and potentially blips to the upside. So how we get there, I think it's important as well. So just we point this out just to point out the randomness of the entire thing. But what's not random is sort of the small caps. And you've mentioned these a number of times. And you look at it through a number of different lens. But you brought some slides to sort of illustrate this. These are 3,000 stocks, effectively. So pretty broad universe in terms of what's going on. And you're looking at it through the context of the S&P 500. And I'll say, before you opine, I read something today that the market, I guess the S&P, is back in bull market territory, whereas the small caps, at least through the runs of the IWM, it's actually in a bear market. But again, interesting, but I think it backs up exactly what you're bringing forth.
1: Right. So that that was published, that's right, on Sunday. Uh, I guess it was Joe LaVornia, I believe. And he was just talking about the fact that um, uh, it is, you have bifurcation. I mean, it's you, you can choose one's words, but you have a, a lot of participation and a lot of non-participation. But that the indices and aggregates are skewed by the obviously uh, super cap names, the marvelous mavens and fantastic mm-hmm. and all magnificent and all this ridiculousness okay so we're going to toggle now this is a table let's go to the chart okay this is the russell 3000 that is the high for january 2022 the s p has made slight new highs we know this it's happened right on friday today up further it's up about one half percent now the russell 3000 is the S&P 500 and the next 2,500 stocks. So this is the broadest aggregate that there is. If we look at the next table, go back to the table, you'll see here, it says right there in bold, this represents 98% of the investable US equity market. This is it, right? Okay. And what you have, if we look at the chart again, is we know that we're slightly below the former high, only about 1.5%. Let's look at the table. And you can see on the table far right, the index is down 1.6%. It's up today, so it's even closer. But what we also know, and this is the issue about Joe Livornia's comment or, or uh, note and, and the concept of breath, the performance of the constituents, right? The average constituent is still down 10% from where it was trading on 4 January 2022. And the median performance is down 17 and so, what this is in just simple language is, you walk in, guy. You and I walk into the arena. We're a little bit late. We're late in our dinner. We had a drink or two, and it's the th- it's half, half, whatever. And and we're walking in a basketball game, and we're like, wow, our team is killing it. Uh-huh. But the truth is, our buddy who's been there said, actually, <laughs> we're having one of the worst statistically worst games of uh, worst night in a long time. But LeBron here, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron is crushing it, right? And is delivering. Eric Dickerson's just running touchdown after touchdown. And so the issue is, um, is the aggregate the real story, the index? And one could say, of course it is, because that's the actual market capitalization. It's, uh, Or is it the story of stock selection and how few stocks are anywhere near their all-time high? So just to conclude this, and I'll stop, we look at the table again, just conceive of that. So you have... It's not quite 3,000 constituents. It's 2,840 at this point. And the performance, the median performance of every student in the class, every player on the team, every is 17% below the mm-hmm. high of two years ago.
0: And to your point, I mean, this is 98% of investable. I mean, it's a, this is effectively the investable market uh, for people. So it's something you have to take into consideration. Now, I want to go back quickly and then we're going to move forward to that where the S&P chart, Amanda, that shows the double tops that, or the potential for, I want to be careful, the double top in the S&P 500 going back to effectively January of 2022. So if we can take a look at that quickly, you'll see what we're looking at. So there is your S&P chart. And again, you see, it's pretty clear we're be- we're, we're right at those levels we last saw way back when. Now, go to that last uh, Russell chart, the 3,000 chart, again, Carter points out, I mean, it's pretty much within whisper of the same type of situation where we potentially could be bumping up against the level that we potentially could put a double top. And this to me, by the way, is more important than the S&P 500. So this is worth watching extraordinarily carefully. I'd like to go to the IWM. Um, we have a chart for that. Because you see where we traded up to, sort of 205-ish level, 204. We've been pointing out for a number of uh, months the potential to get there and fail. Now, if you want to go back longer term, IWM, Amanda, and look over the last couple of years, there's a method to our madness. And there it is right there. You can see the level of resistance that we just traded up to. has been the same level of resistance, Carter, a number of times over the last couple of years. Right here, we are at the moving average, which is effectively flattening out. So to me, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen from here. I think you know where I stand because I still think there are going to be some headwinds for the economy, these being the most economically sensitive names. I don't know how they're going to fare in that environment, but we'll see. But for the short term, at least, those resistance levels, um, they basically held serve.
1: And what's so what, what all, all eyes are on and trying to figure out, because it's where alpha will be generated, just as it's value versus growth or sector A versus sector B, does one um, try to overweight this area, smaller cap versus larger cap? And obviously, that's been uh, no good, a bad bet for several years in a row. Um, but what we do know, of course, is that in the drawdown that was 2022, the S&P dropped 27% the Nasdaq 100 dropped 37%. So it's not to say that those super cap names are immune from weakness. They're, they got pounded much more severely in the sell-off of uh, 2022. And the other thing that is a conundrum is that if things are good and bullish, it, it is right typically to be aggressive, which to embrace beta, that is the definition. And there's more beta in small cap than in large. And so that one would be right if one's bullish to get more long, smaller cap, higher, beta, lower price stocks. At the very same time, if the low, small are going to start outperforming the large cap, it's only positive is they're going up, but going up more than the large cap that are also going up. Uh-huh. Because if they're going up, but the large cap are going down, the market can never go up. Because of the influence of the large, so it's this dynamic that is very unknowable. But getting that right uh, is the holy grail.
0: And I would have, I would submit I don't know the data behind it, but you know the the divergence in the groups probably has never been wider, and seemingly continues each and every day. And you know we it it allows you to take your eye off the ball when you just focus on the S and P. Understanding the weighting is skewed for those. Handful to 10 different names. But then again, below the surface, you see what we're doing. And there you go. So this is something that Amanda just pulled up on the fly from FactSet. So thank you. And you can just sort of look at this quickly, but you see the divergence that I'm talking about, Carter.
1: Yeah. And uh, what is truly remarkable is that on the lows of October, from which we've had this incredible bounce over the past three plus months, you can see and, and all will know that the Russell 2000, going back to that longer term chart, um, the five year is that on the lows, we were right back to the penny to the highs before COVID. So mm-hmm. if we have maybe, I mean, uh, 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 this chart, but just with the ne- with the Russell uh, 2000, let's just try that. And um, what we'll do is we'll draw a nice line. So the highs yeah. before the COVID plunge, and we have exactly, we get down essentially. And that's why that level has so much authority and it keeps fighting that off. And yet, the bounces keep never really following through either. So we have uh, we have something that's quite messy. It's what a pair of twos really is.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Well, what's not a pair of twos, this is more two seven offsuit, has been the Chinese stock market. We are off to our worst start in eight years, uh, through the lens of a number of different things. We're using the FXI here, and you can see where we are. For me, and we've talked about this Carter a number of times. I thought 21 and a half-ish was sort of the line in the sand. 21 and a half was sort of the lows we got down to in the fall of 2022. And Amanda, if you want to even go farther back, you can go back to 08, 09, and you can see that the FXI bottomed out at the same levels that we're at now, which to me, and if you want to draw that horizontal line, is a bit haunting in a word because I think we all remember what was going on. I think we all remember the fall of 2022. And now something is happening here. But what's interesting What's happening here is not coinciding with what's happening in our market. Now, you go back to 809, they effectively were a mirror image, United States market and the FXI. The same thing to a certain extent in the fall of 2022. But now something's happening in China, excluding, I mean, basically on its own in terms of what's happening here. So the question is, I guess, to you, and I know there's really no way to answer this, but it's either one of two things are going to happen. This, I guess this divergence continues Or it starts to fix itself, and then you have to ask yourself, how does it fix itself? It's either the FXI is going to bounce in a meaningful way, or the S and P is going to sell off. Understanding there could be some sort of amalgam of the two,
1: right? And so, keeping this long term chart, and then what we'll do is go to the double bottom or perspective double bottom, the short and near term chart. What. Good technique, is there such a thing, first i I'll say, who the hell are you Carter? to decide what good technique is? But let me just make this statement that good technique here is to just be like an algorithm, just be like a robot, which is that on the approach of a former low or high, the algorithm machine is testing, waiting, and it says, all right, let's play for the bounce. And if it starts to bounce, they press the bat. The machine on its own is what AI is. At the exact same time, if it starts to undercut the low, the machine is frictionless. No memory. It just exits the long and says, guess what? It's breaking. And it pushes the short. So good technique is not to overthink it. Not to think at all, in fact. It's just to act like a linebacker. And this is, look, I uh, I know, Guy, you played high school. football. I played uh, varsity football in high school. Uh, uh, look, your job was not to be that clever. <laughs> it was to just react to the ball. Ball goes left, we go left. Ball goes right, we go right. And so react to the ball.
0: Yeah. No, listen, the the, the mantra that we use, and it was easy for me because I wasn't that bright, but don't think, react. And I think that to your point, that's exactly right. And I say this in a different way, and but it's the same type of mantra. Let price be your guide in terms of what's going on. And you don't have to necessarily make a decision here. What I'll tell you is, and I think what Carter is saying If this starts to bounce the FXI. For example, if it were to close positive today for whatever reason, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, that will trigger rounds of buying that the higher it goes, the more will feed on itself. And conversely, if we do close on the lows and break, that'll sort of initiate further rounds of selling to the downside. But again, just sort of like price be your guide and understand what's happening. So one of the biggest components of that, by the way, is Alibaba and this has always been a, well, for the last three years at least, it's been a really interesting uh, stock for me because you've effectively been in a downtrend now for the last three, and a half, three plus years. But along the way, Carter, and you know this, the bounces have been epic, anywhere from 30 to 50% bounces on a stock that is effectively at the lows we saw again the fall of 2022. So it goes to show you, you know, something can be in a bear market, which this clearly is. But some of the best money in the bear market is made on the bounces. Conversely, some of the best money in bull markets are made on some of those steep declines. So here we are on Alibaba. I don't know if this chart means anything to you. It's just sort of us dressing up some lines. I'm waiting for a big volume day. But here we are on Alibaba, very similar to the FXI.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, a weak security instrument, stock, index could be anything that's in an established downtrend that's trying to bottom, not really working. It's hopeful, but uh, usually it's right to stay away from this kind of thing, not not short, not long.
0: Yeah, we teased yields. We're going to look at our uh, chart because we're pushing in terms of yields where we moved up to basically moving average. So we broke down, we've bounced, we've tested that now level of resistance. It's anybody's guess what's going to happen here, but you know what? You don't guess and you brought with you what you think is going to be a bounce in the TLT, which means yields are going to go lower. So walk through your charts, Carter.
1: Yeah, four identical charts. You see it says there on the first annotation, one of four. Let's just start putting the lines in. So we have this circumstance, which is, uh, you can say that's, well, that's because you want to see that. Of course, it's in the eye of the practitioner. This is what my eye sees. Let's look at the next uh, iteration. So you have a fairly well-defined, these are all one-year charts, downtrend line. We overshot and we've checked back to the penny. Put them all together. Does that have to happen? No. But I think that's the play here. Uh, The published note uh, was just short term bounce play on the long side. So playing for bonds to go up, yields to go down. We went from about three, eight, seven to four, two, one on the 10 year. And I think we'll dip back towards uh, three, nine, three, eight.
0: Now, the question to me is, you know, if your work is right, which it typically is, and again, now I'm asking you to connect some dots, but th- th- does that mean necessarily that this move into the NASDAQ that we've seen um, is going to continue? So much has been predicated, well, I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but one of the major reasons has been yields going lower in a meaningful way. And that really triggered that huge round of buying that we've seen in all these high valuation, high growth names. I guess would you make that leap that lower yields are going to sort of get a fresh round of buying in the triple Qs?
1: Well, so that's, that would be the natural conclusion. We cannot know that, but long duration assets that uh, one can have a dream of a multiple, right? Get then that lift as well as, um, you know, sort of profitless uh, where then one can invent the dream too. Uh, Point is, and this is, this is the thing about all of this. I mean, is there any difference if the cost of ten-year money is five or four? Of course not. It's nine. It's eight. It's seven. It means something. It's back at one and two percent. It means something too. But we're uh, we're kind of in the sweet spot, right? It's, I think so long as it's three and a half to five, one can go about doing their DCF and trying to put a price target on uh, future cash flow and what a security is worth. Ultimately, I think we're going lower. I think we're getting back into the low threes. And then that's going to start to mean something not
0: so good. In terms of yields, what we're going to see, I mentioned that Dan's not here, but it doesn't mean he's not doing some work. So we're going to do a bit of a trade update. In the week between Christmas and New Year's, I think we did one market call show. I want to say it was on December 28th, which basically coincided with um, the high in the TLT. So yields were cratering. And I remember doing the show that day and around, you know, 105-ish, the the bond auction results came out and they weren't particularly good. And Dan was outlining a trade. You know, I mentioned at the time of the outline that, you know, this trade might wind up being correct a lot sooner than he thought. And that really came to fruition. Not that I was a genius, but you had seen that huge move to the TLT on the upside, yields on the downside. Bit of an update here and you can walk through it. You know, the TLT, basically around 100. That was what Dan did. He bought the March 190 put spread for two and a half bucks. He bought the, uh, he buy 100 put at 285. He sold the 90 put at 35 cents. So 2 dollars half dollar cost, that's how it came out. The update now with the TLT at current levels, um, that put spread that cost two and a half bucks on the 28th is basically doubled. So again, I just wanted to throw that out there. If you believe, by the way, what Carter just told you, and you put that trade on. It stands to reason that you want to exit that trade with both hands because Carter works suggests that yields are going to head lower, meaning the TLT is going to head higher. But I just wanted to do a quick update there, Carter.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, the, it's time frames, but uh, But in this case, it's it's such a handsome profit. You know, you take the money
0: and run. run. And anytime you get a double, and this is one of those things, this just becomes math. If you were to sell half your position. Effectively, you're in the rest for free. So that's one way to look at it. Or again, you could do anything, you know, 75%, just keep the tail. But you got to do, I guess the point both Carter and I are making is, and then Dan updating it is, you have to do something when you have things go either with you, for you, or against you. Sitting on your hands is never an option. We got a great looking graph of what's up this week in terms of earnings, Zion's bank today. but. The rest of the week, you got some pretty big companies, and effectively four each day. And here we go, Carter. Um, I know what sticks out to me. Is there any name on this list that sort of sticks out to you for any particular reason?
1: Well, of course, in terms of market cap, we know that Tesla is is the biggest on the board. Um, But obviously, these are marquee names from Procter & Gamble, American Express. They're ones that are just perennial losers, Verizon. But Verizon's not a stock, it's a bond. If you look at its annual yield of Three to eight percent in any given year compared to ten-year treasuries. You, it is what it is. Um, you know, just AT and T. Funny, I, I saw something this about five years ago, so it's a little bit stale. But a, the single second most profitable company in terms of billions of profits in a year, second to Apple, about six was AT and T. It was also the single most indebted company in the world. Right, it's a leveraged thing that yeah, give you a bond. But uh, I think you fade these. These are uh, not. Uh, not um unless you're doing it for bond like returns.
0: Yeah. Well, the yields should be scary enough. You know, and people buy ATT for the yield over the last couple of years, and you can lose that yield effectively in a day, just for shits and giggles, as they say, which I've used before, but there are people watching it love that term. Go back a long term chart of ATT. I mean, it's been an unmitigated disaster now for the last 10, 15 or so years. And you say, well, the entire space has been a disaster, guy. That's not necessarily true. I mean, you look at that chart again since 2016, that's upper left, lower right. And conversely, look at a chart like T-Mobile. By the way, effectively, they're in the same business, TMUS. And you'll see a stock that's telling a much different story. I mean, here's a stock that's effectively making all-time highs at a time where AT&T and Verizon can't get out of their own way. So it's not industry specific. One has to ask themselves. You know, what is going on with the operation of those two things? I'll tell you what I'm looking at quickly. I mean, they're all really interesting to me. Intel on Thursday is going to be fascinating to see if they're finally um, figuring out what's going on in the space. But American Express on Friday, and I've mentioned that a number of times, if we can throw up an American Express chart, you'll see you had a huge run up, huge sell off, the, this, this ensuing run up. Is taking us back to those levels. If we can do longer term, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So big run up, big sell off, run up up the prior highs into a release that's going to be interesting because of, I think, what Discover Financial said last week. And here's the longer term chart. You'll see what I'm talking about. And one has to wonder, what is American Express seeing? Are they concerned about whatever credit exposure they have? Their customers, obviously, on the other end of the spectrum, Carter, but it doesn't mean they are sort of insulated from what's going on in the world. Just quick thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, American Express is very specifically um, uh, not only a travel business, but it's tied largely to corporate spending, much more so than a Discover Capital One. Um, And it has cyclicality in that sense versus, let's say, a Visa or MasterCard, which are toll keepers, utilities of sorts. Um, But either way, it's a very important company and it always trades cheap. You know, it never gets to be a a high multiple for a reason, because there's a lot of cyclicality.
0: You brought uh, some charts. And with we'll the implied moves for both Netflix and Tesla, you'll see, again, pretty much the same, 8% for Netflix, plus or minus, plus or minus 7% for Tesla, we'll see. But you brought charts. So walk me through your Netflix charts, and then subsequently, your Tesla charts.
1: Right. So I think these are the two biggest market cap names coming this week. Certainly, Tesla and Netflix is right in their uh, top two or three. Uh, you know, talk about volatility, talk about the, the 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 cult of equity. what's it worth? Could it be worth eight hundred it was? Could it be worth one hundred it was it's five hundred eh, that's the myth of it all, right that there's this somehow I can put a price target on it. Um, there is uh, you some, see some long-term statistics which are that ninety eight percent of all equities underperform 90 ninety eight t bills. Uh, That over time, a lot of things, quite a business. Now, Netflix almost went out of business selling or mailing its little red envelopes. And again, it reinvented itself. Mm -hmm. Now it's clearly not going out of business. But let's put some lines in. Um, That's a well-defined, mathematically precise channel, not manipulated in any way. Those two lines are, again, exactly the same, just placed in different spots. Let's add the midpoint. And the point is, this is a pair of twos. Like, I don't want to trade. Like, if someone said, "Okay, you have to now go long into earnings or go short. I go, no, no, I don't Mm -hmm. want to. Don't have to. No, thank
0: you. Let price be your guide without question. And when you're in the middle of this channel, I mean, the way I look at this is, and I don't, I'm, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we trade up to the top end of the channel, or we trade down to the bottom end of the channel. But I think what both Carter and I are saying here is at a certain point, where we lie in that channel is going to give you an opportunity. If we lie towards the downside of the up channel, maybe there's a long side trade to be had. If we get towards the upside of the channel, if you're long the stock, maybe you're looking to exit a position or maybe pot- potentially play it on the bear side through options. So that's the way we're looking at it. Quickly, let's take a look at Tesla because I think this is a bit of a different story.
1: And here too, what is something worth? It was worth 400 then it was worth 100 now it's back at 250 Uh There are very few long-term compounders similar to T-Mobile that we had on the screen. No lines, no drawings, no arrows, no judgments. Let's put some lines in, pretty straightforward. Uh, let's put some arrows in to annotate the to the penny, to the penny, to the penny concept. We have broken below. Um, this doesn't help as much. I too, in this instance, would say pair of twos. I don't really want to go through uh, earnings, long or short.
0: You know, you can. Pl- this is one of those things. Again, the, this pennant formation. Let's just say we're still in this pennant formation. The funnel continues to get smaller and smaller until something has to give. I happen to think we've broken it on the downside, and maybe after earnings, it bounces back up to the uptrend line and fails, or maybe we get back up to the downtrend line and fails. But it's going to be really interesting to see the price action on the back of that. Before we get out of here. MasterCard, I think, made an all time high today around 440 or so. We have a question. And this is one of those charts that there's really never been a real reason to exit this trade. I mean, MasterCard and Visa have been names we've talked about on Fast Money for years. I know on Options Action you have as well. Now, there have been downturns along the way for a myriad of different reasons, typically market based. But I mean, you look at this chart, and that's a shorter term. If you do longer term, you'll see, I mean, this is lower left, upper right in a textbook fashion.
1: Right. Um, um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a long-term compounder, to be fair, uh, to be clear. Let's go to the the shorter-term chart again, and I would just characterize the circumstance as follows. that If we were to accept the the smoothing mechanism as our trend, and it is, and just as we undercut in late October, early November, we're now pulling away to the upside in equal and opposite fashion. I would say there's not much more left. Like if I were long, I'd start selling calls, trimming, anything above sort of 445, I'd sell it all.
0: Appreciate your work, Carter. As always, it's incredible. You look good today. Tie on, you obviously have some meetings. So thank you for joining us. Thanks to the audience again. Condolences to the Anderson family. We're absolutely thinking of you. Obviously want to thank Facts at their charts. I want to thank the audience in aggregate. We'll be back tomorrow, Dan, Nathan, and I on a CME day. See you later, folks. Bye.